This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, book lover. I am so glad you are here listening to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. The show is a passion project for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy making it. I only interview authors whose books I have read and enjoyed, so if I am chatting with an author on the main show, it means that I really liked their book and feel comfortable recommending it to you. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I work hard to find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations and to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Are you looking for an engaging book community with unique bonus content? If so, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon community, which is filled with a wonderful group of readers. I offer three levels, page turners, lit lovers, and royal readers, and each level provides all sorts of cool bonus book content that you will not find elsewhere. If you're interested or want more information, the link to join is in my show notes. Today, I am chatting with Irene Mushemi Dorito about Lucky Girl. Irene was born in Nairobi and moved to the United States to attend college in 1998. She has an MA in journalism from Columbia University and has worked as a journalist in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Boston. She later received an MFA in creative writing from the University of Cape Town, graduating with distinction. She currently lives in Cape Town, South Africa, and Lucky Girl is her first novel. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Irene. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I loved Lucky Girl, and I can't wait to talk more about it. Cool. So what I usually do is have authors give me a quick synopsis of the book for those that haven't read it yet. So can you do that for me? Yeah, sure. So Lucky Girl, the story revolves around um, Soila and it's chronological. So it's, it's, you know, you'll see that it follows like her whole life, not well, like 20 years of, or so of her life. And essentially she's, um, she's an only child and she's raised by a widow. 
And her mom is like a super accomplished businesswoman who, funnily enough, you know, doesn't have much of a formal education. And she sort of just makes it, you know, the what you call it, like the school of life is like, like, you know, she didn't really go to college, but she figures it out. She's a very good businesswoman. She's also really overbearing and she wants the best for her daughter. And um, so Sosuela is really kind of just really controlled as a child and, and getting into her teenage years. She's very sheltered. And there's also like a religious element. And I think the religion almost becomes like a whole other character in the novel. It's, it's huge and it's, it's, it's overburdening, you know, for a child when, when her mom is so staunch, you know, in the religion and, and, and the way that she handles her home, you know? And so um, I would say there's a bit of brainwashing as well. So yeah, so, so, so that's it. And so she, she needs to find herself. And I think that's why it's called a coming of age novel. She needs to, to grow up and mature and figure out who she is outside of her mom's identity. And for her to do that, she needs to get out into the world and she needs to see things that she hasn't seen before. She has to tackle a lot of stereotypes and learning um, things that she, I don't know, things that she thought she knew that, were, that are not true. She has to unlearn all these ideas about the world and, and learn, you know, more about the world. So that's basically, it's, it's a story about a, a, a woman, you know, growing up and, and also about what do you have to give up to be happy? And are you willing to give that much up for your happiness in the end? Um, are you willing to sacrifice, you know, a lot of the things that maybe the world tells you are important for you to be happy, you know? So I think it's, yeah, it's also a story about finding yourself, finding happiness and finding love. You know, I think that's Lucky Girl. She really struggles with her mom's rules and requirements. And I think there's a lot about mother-daughter relationships and what do you owe your parents? And you talk about the being happy. You know, do, do you have to do everything they tell you or can you go out on your own and find your own happiness? That was a really interesting part of the story, I thought. Exactly. And also, you know, a lot of the feedback I've been getting is, is quite interesting because these things are cultural, you know? And so there's a, like people that get it and the Africans get it, the Asians are getting it. Like I've had all these friends of mine that are like Indian and I have a couple of friends that are Korean. And they, they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, this is my, my life. It's like, I feel like I constantly have to worry about making my folks happy and sort of worrying about, you know, is, is the person that I'm going to bring home going to be the person that they're going to like? Or are they going to sort of, you know, say, no, this is not the person. And, you know, I have to worry about them aging and me being there for them and how, how much of my life you know, your life gets so entangled with your, your parents' lives because it's that, there's that burden culturally where you feel like you cannot ever desert your family. You know, I've seen like a lot of the reviews. I've got great reviews, by the way, on Goodreads and whatever. People are like, I cannot. The Americans are like, I cannot relate, but I empathize. <laughs> so it's like there's a whole group of people that are going, well, why? Why can she not just, you know, just walk away, you know, just tell her mom that, you know, no, no, mom, like, this is my life. 
so I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely bringing up a lot of dialogue demographically, culturally, between cultures, between generations as well. You know, the Gen Zs don't get it. They're like, well, I don't understand. Why is her mom so like overbearing and like, you know, telling her what to do and why she should, how she should be? It's because, you know, Gen Zs are being raised by women that are more understanding and are like allowing them to find themselves and, you know, whatever, you know, and the millennials, sorry, the Gen X, that's my generation. We were raised by a different set of kind of women that were sort of, you know, more conservative and that expected way more from us, you know, as daughters. It's, it's really, I think it's a book club novel. There's a lot of conversations that you can have around the novel. Absolutely, because that is definitely one, the mother-daughter relationship really stuck with me. But also what resonated with me was Soila leaving Kenya, coming to the United States, and how different she found it when she encountered Africans from Africa versus African-Americans. And you deal with that a fair amount in the book, and that was completely fascinating to me and really something I hadn't read a lot about before. Yeah, so that so so funnily enough, um, when when we were writing this novel, my editor, I mean, I you know you know how it is, you you know, I mean, you write a book, it takes you maybe a year or a year and a half, whatever, and then you shop it around and then you get a a, a book deal, whatever, and then they come in and they tell you like we love the book, we love the characters, but we're gonna have to do a lot of work, <laughs> and I know you know this, and so it takes about like two years, two and a half years to just you know do this editing, and the whole time like. We kept thinking that the thing that was going to resonate with readers was the love story, the mother-daughter, sure, and then also the love story. But it turns out everybody is like talking about the the race, the, 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 this whole thing of like, oh my God, like I didn't realize that Africans feel so differently about race or are so different from the African-Americans. You know, I think that has been like the thing, you know, I really didn't see that coming. It's just something I haven't read about much elsewhere. And so that's what really stuck with me. And I found it fascinating. When I was reviewing the book again this morning, again, I was like, oh, that is just so interesting. And Soila has all these viewpoints that she has had from growing up in Kenya and the perspective she has. And she really has to go to the US. Things are so different there. And it's eye-opening for her. And that was just completely intriguing to me. I, I really felt like I learned a lot. It was really interesting. And it was definitely that and the mother-daughter relationship are what stuck with me. I feel like those are the kinds of things that Suela, she has all these stereotypes. And, and partly it's because what is her reference, right? So she's grown up with a very limited idea of what America is, right? So she's grown up watching The Cosby Show. So, so it's actually quite interesting. So when I was growing up, what we saw, it's different now because now there's cable, it's, you know, so the kids now have a much, I mean, there's social media. The kids now know a whole lot more about what America is like, what Black America is like. And we didn't have social media and we like only had like a couple of channels. And so it was the Cosby show and it was like Dallas and Dynasty and whatever, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> And then if we got like movies it, and, you know, Black America was presented as it was like Boys in the Hood and Crooklyn, you know, and, and so your idea of what Black America is, is just so warped, you know, you don't really understand anything. And, and then you get there and you're thinking, well, you know, they're going to be like me, right? Because 
I'm black, you know? And you get there and it's like, first of all, you've never even encountered racism. People are talking to you about black. Black and you're like, I don't understand this whole thing about black. It's like, why is it such a thing? Like, I know I'm black. (laughs) And this whole thing of like minority, minority, it just really does your head in, you know? It takes a minute for Soila, I think, to grasp that this is actually like a thing. It's a conversation and it's a huge conversation. It's not something that she can just brush off. And I think in the beginning, she's quite arrogant and she kind of thinks like, you know what, if I just bury my head, I don't have to deal with this. But then she realizes actually she has to deal with it because it's touching her, her life. You know, she's starting to realize that she's going into a store and she's being treated differently. And she's, you know, I don't know, her professor, not not maybe in the novel, but in, you know, like in general, maybe your college professor says something and definitely happened to me. You know, it's like, I'm kicking ass, man. I'm kicking ass in this class. But then my professor, who, by the way, I thought loved me, makes a weird comment like, uh, I don't know, makes me feel like, I don't quite, I don't know, I don't know. Just, you you know, there's all these microaggressions and you start to feel like, did I just imagine that comment or did I take, did I misunderstand the comment? And so there's a whole thing about like Soila starting to realize, gosh, you know, this thing is real. And also I'm not imagining it. And also Black Americans are not imagining it. And also it's not a chip on the shoulder. It's real. (laughs) (laughs) But it takes... It takes about a year, maybe longer than a year, maybe even two years to get there. Absolutely. And without spoiling anything, it impacts her relationship a little bit with her friends she meets in the U.S. because they don't really understand her perspective and she can't yet understand theirs. And so that was all such a learning experience for me. It gave me yet another perspective that was helpful in trying to understand everything that's happening in the United States. I just felt that really added to the story. And I was so glad you had included all of it. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, and I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming at all. I thought we would be discussing Akhenaten and how much, you know, he loves her. It turns out nobody cares about (laughs) this. I did enjoy that and I did like him. But the parts, like I said, that really resonated with me were the other parts of the story. But but I liked him as well. And and his trying to understand everything, which again, I don't want to have as a spoiler. But You know, the other thing that I loved is my daughter's at Barnard. So I loved that that's where Soila went. So that was a fun little inclusion for me. How did you choose Barnard? Well, I actually, I actually went to Columbia. Right. So I was trying to find a school that was, that Soila would be comfortable at. And she had gone to like a convent school, all girls. And so I just thought like maybe she'd be more comfortable in sort of an all-girls college, but it had to be New York. So yeah, so Barnard was easy. And then I, I kind of remember, you know, the area and had a good like sense of like the feel of that, that neighborhood. So it just made sense to me, you know, like it just made sense. I saw that you had gone to Columbia. So I was so curious why you chose Barnard instead of Columbia. So I was like, I have to ask her. So how much of your own experience did you wrap into Soila's story? Okay, so people ask me that. People ask me if it's a memoir, and it's not a memoir. But what it is, is I have used a lot of my personal experiences, right? So I can tell you for sure 
the race issues. I mean, that for me was something that I really, and that I can tell that just did my head in. I mean, I just couldn't get over that whole thing for, for years. I was so confused, you know? I had to figure out what is my blackness? What is my blackness in this whole setup? You know, because I'm getting told things like, you just don't get it, you know? And I'm sitting there going, oh, I, you know, it kind of hurts, you know? But also feeling like, um, yeah, am I an ally? Am I a fraud? You know, if I don't really get it, then I must be, yeah, I must be a fraud. You know, just feeling like it's so confusing, you know? And so for me, that was, you know, I had to put that in the novel because she's an African girl trying to navigate this, this whole different kind of, of blackness. I think career-wise as well, just trying to, be, you know, being like, a, well, at one point I was an, the only black newspaper reporter in a newsroom <laughs> so in Boston. And so I remember that was something that really sat with me um, for a long time, you know? I was at 9-11. I worked in New York City at the time. And that, that was just a lot of trauma um, that I've had to deal with. But I, you know, eventually it gets better. But I think for a long time, that was very traumatic. And also the bombing in Kenya was traumatic for me because I wasn't in Kenya. And so I was sitting in the U.S. with a huge time difference, not knowing if people that I love were okay. And back then, you know, there wasn't really cell phones. You know, it was a whole thing. You know, you had to get the calling cards <laughs> and scratch the card. I don't know. I don't know if you remember. I mean, I don't know if you would know. I do. It. Yeah. No, I do. Because in long distance was yes. ridiculously expensive then. Yes. And we had to get the calling cards and, you know, the phones had that echo. Yes. The lag. You know, if you were calling that far, you'd have to wait for it all to come through. Then you'd have to talk and they'd be talking and everybody would be talking at the same time. So that 9-11 and the race things, I think, I think for me, I brought into, into the novel because I knew well, a lot of the other stuff, I, I kind of winged it. And people have asked me about the, you know, you know, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to spoil it. But people have asked me about the sex, the sexual assault. And it's something that I've never experienced. Thank God, you know. Is people ask me, how did you write it so well? And I swear, you know, it's like, I've never, thank God, I've never experienced that. But I really had to kind of put myself in that moment and say, if I was in that moment, like, what, what would I feel? And what would I grapple with? And would I, how much guilt would I have? And how much of it would I think was my fault? Especially because, you know, she's, she's, a, she's a teenager. She's not a little kid. So that stuff, I think I just had to wing and I had to just make the most of, you know, and of course my editor is saying to me, reading it and reading it and reading it, you know, every time I rewrite it and then finally them going, this works. And sort of just saying, we're going to send it out into the universe and we're going to hope that it sits well with people that have experienced that. My fear was that people that have experienced it would feel that's not how it is, or this isn't how it feels, you know, and I was very worried about that. But I kind of just dug in and just thought, okay, um, how would it actually feel if I went through this? And just rewrote it. So it's not a memoir, but it's definitely a lot of my experiences I, I did put in there. Well, you may feel like you've already partially answered this one. But what was the hardest part about writing this book? 
I think that because there's so much stuff that is heavy and just like really heavy, heavy stuff and worrying that is just too much trigger and worrying that too much horrible stuff is happening. But then at the same time saying, look, in real life, maybe some people are really lucky and they don't have anything horrible that happens to them. But then you also have people that have had four close families die, you know, and then you meet people that have, you know, had, I don't know, they've been abused and, and they've also lost their mom. So I had to go, okay, I know that it's a lot going on in this book. And I know that it feels like Suela is the most like unluckiest person on the planet, but is it, is it realistic? Can one person really have had to deal with so much trauma? And, and do I want to commit to that? You know? Or do I, you know, and I had to say, I want to commit. I want to commit. And I know some people have come up and said, geez, this book, there's just too many triggers. There's just like too many things that happen. And and it's like one on top of the other. And that's something that I had to say, look, I'm committing to this. And if anybody has a problem with it, well, you know what? Maybe too bad. But I do believe that you can have that much trauma in life. And the question is, how do you... You know, how do you rise out of the ashes? How do you survive? And do you, do you become a better person or do you kind of shrivel and die and blame the world and blame and blame and blame? You know, so I think what I really wanted for Suela was for her to have a lot of adversity, but for her to also come out of the ashes and be a stronger person and a wiser person and even a happier person. So I think that was hard. It was hard. I think it was really hard to just say, I, I'm not afraid for her to go through so many dramas. So that is really interesting to me because she definitely does go through a lot. But I didn't find the book to be a downer at all. And I don't like really grim stories or super sad stories. I just feel like we live in a grim and sad enough world. I don't need to also read about it in my fiction. But I didn't feel like it was that type of story. I felt like it was more a coming-of-age story and what happens when somebody does encounter some adversity and some of the other issues we talked about, the mother-daughter relationship, the cultural issues. Like, I felt that you did a really great job balancing everything. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. But yeah, yeah, you're one of probably, you know, I would say 75% of the people feel like you. I think maybe there's a minority that feel like, geez, you know, my God, how much crap can one person go through? (laughs) Yeah. So, hey. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many books out there. So it's not like every book is right for every single person. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about the cover and the title, because I'm always totally intrigued with how those come about. So Lucky Girl, you touched on that a little bit, but tell me how that became the title. So first of all, Lucky Girl was a short story, and then I developed it into a a novel. And in in the beginning, in the short story, there's a, so her mom is very staunch Catholic and, you know, sometimes her mom would have like um, a bunch of women come over to the house and they would have like a prayer session or whatever. And, you know, Father Emmanuel, <laughs> who's like one of the characters, maybe probably a, not, maybe not such a minor character, but he's her mom's sort of spiritual counselor, whatever you want to call it, has come to one of these prayer meetings and one of the women 
says to Soila, you know, you're such a lucky girl because, you know, your mom loves you so much and she would give up anything for you and whatever. And then a couple of maybe, I don't know, paragraphs later, Father Emmanuel gets into the scene and says, yes, Soila, you're a really lucky girl. You're a very lucky girl. So, so, so that's not in the novel. But, but what I wanted to show was that if you look at Soila's life from the outside in, you would think, my God, you know, she's so privileged. She's so privileged. Her family is wealthy. Um, she can afford to go to America for school and not even have to work through college, not even have to take like student loans. You know, she's got a really good like home life, whatever. She's so lucky. But if you dug in, you would probably realize, she, she, you know what, maybe she's not so lucky. And I think that her mom, especially, thinks that Soila is very lucky, you know, because she's giving her so much. She's giving her so much, you know, like she wants Soila to have the best of the best, you know, and she didn't have that. She grew up like really poor. And, you know, so, so she's thinking, I'm giving my daughter everything, everything that she could ever need or want. You know, she's a really lucky child. But if you ask Soila, she'll tell you, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm so lucky. So I think a little bit of a play on the word lucky. I don't know what you thought after you read the book, if you thought she was lucky. What did you think? I thought it was a play on words that everybody from the outside looks at her and thinks she's lucky, as you mentioned. But once you get to know her and understand her relationship with her mother and everything she's experiencing, that she's not quite as lucky as she seems. Exactly. And I love the cover. <laughs> the cover was done by a, a, a clearly super talented, you know, art um, director at, at um, Random House. But anyway, I didn't even think until I saw the cover, I didn't even think of the lemons. I know. I love that. And, and in, in the original, you know, version, they were big. They were big. They were like really big. And then there was like a, a, the, the New York City skyline was also quite big. So it was like lemons and New York. <laughs> And it was, and it was beautiful. I, I loved it. But then I said to them, look, guys, I just feel like if you saw this book at a bookstore, um, you wouldn't even know that it had anything to do with Africa at all. Right. Maybe there would be like this weird, unpronounceable name on the cover. But other than that, like you wouldn't know that there's anything about this book that is, has anything to do with Africa. And so I said, I really want you to go back and I really want you to do something, anything that makes it feel like, you know, that's something that's, and I sent them a few ideas and then they came back with that sort of like a, like a, what is it? Like a, I, it's a pattern, but I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but it's the African, there's a couple of African patterns across the bottom. That's it. And I thought now I feel like I love the cover and the colors. And the colors are happy. I love it. They're beautiful. Well, before we wrap up, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled conversation after this for my Patreon group, but before we wrap up this main interview, tell me what you've read recently that you loved. Okay. So most, most recently, I've read Black Buck. I love that book. It's so funny, but very makes a lot of great points, but he's very, very funny. And you know what? He's actually having... He's actually going to be in conversation with me in New York City. Uh, if any of your listeners are going to be in New York City, end of September. And he's amazing. 
So we're going to be in conversation about Lucky Girl. He loved the book and actually he blurbed it. And I just love that novel because, again, like I said to you, I, I worked in America. I worked in corporate America. And at one point, I was the only black person in the newsroom. And so, and then I, and then my husband also, you know, was, you know, he worked in, on Wall Street and he also was like, you know, Harvard educated, uh, one of a few black people in, you know, at the bank, you know, so, so a lot of these experiences that I, you know, that are in his novel, um, Mateo's novel, I really could relate, you know, I really, really could relate. And I just love that book. More recently, I have also read, I hope you will know, is Homegoing. I have not read it still. I hate to even admit that because everybody raves about that book, but I hear it's phenomenal. Oh my God. And you know what? I don't even want to talk about it because it's, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but honestly, like that book is amazing. When I read that book, I have, you know, I have a lot of black American friends that I love dearly, but I, now I tell them like, guys, you know, after I read that book, you know what? I know the whole slavery thing sounds like it was like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but that book makes it feel, it makes you realize that it's not such a long time ago. It actually is not such a long time ago. And yeah, I look at them and I'm like, Jesus, it's like, maybe five grandmas, five grandpas or five grandmothers away, you know? And so that book really brings home. And the funny thing is it's historical fiction and it's heavy, but it's not depressing. And I think she did that really, really well. You know, she, it's, a, it's a tough, tough topic, but she does it in a way that makes you almost like just keep, want to keep reading but also that's what for me struck was like, God, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. No, it is crazy to think that it wasn't that long ago. It's so frightening. It wasn't. And that's what she does. She, she, she tells you like, okay, this is Cindy. And guess how Cindy got here? And she goes like, literally, it takes you to like Ghana. And it's Cindy's grand, great, great grandma. And then she shows you Cindy's great-great-grandma on the boat and in Mississippi. And it's like, then it's Cindy. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. No, it's just horrible. It is horrible to think. But that's why I haven't read it because I'm afraid it is just going to be so heavy. But I've heard nothing but fabulous things about it. Please read it. And the last book is The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. And you have to read that book. Somebody just recommended that one to me, and I have never read it either. And so clearly, this is a sign because you're also recommending it. You have to read that book. You're going to love it. It's so funny. And it's one of those books that made me feel like if I ever have a close friend or one of my kids or somebody that's close to me that was feeling like they wanted to end their life, I would say to them, please read this book. Because He's 100 years old, and he just feels like, I'm not ready to die, actually. And he escapes out of his nursing home, and he has the greatest adventure. And it just tells you that there's so much life in us. You know, if you just could take, if you could just kind of like fast forward in your mind, like, what, what would a year from now look like? Would I still be stuck in this muck? Would I still be stuck in this really dark place? 
if I could just like bear like another year, you know, what, what's it going to look like? It might not be what it is now, you know? And it just, I mean, he's a hundred years old and he has the adventure of his life. I mean, it's an amazing book. And it just really it hit home for me. Like there is so much life in us, you know, that we actually take for granted because we're so focused on today. And if you're having a really bad day today, you kind of feel like, oh, you know, this is my life. But it's actually not, you know? My son and I were just having this conversation. He's going to be a senior in high school. And there's just a lot, you know, going on, thinking about being a senior, then leaving home, all of that. So we were talking about how people always say the days are long, but the years are short. And I think this is the perfect example of that. Like some days you just feel like I am in the weeds and there is so much happening and am I ever going to get through it? But then six months later, you you look back and you think, oh my gosh, that was so long ago. So it is interesting sometimes to try to remember like the days do seem long, but the years are short and time does go by fast. Yep. And then, then the last book I have to tell you about is, is Black Ass. Black Ass is one word. So if you're going to look for the book, it's one word. And it is, <laughs> it, is, it is an amazing book. It's set in Nigeria. It's set in Lagos. And it's a book about a guy, a Nigerian guy, who wakes up one morning and he has been transformed into a white man. But he has still got the Nigerian accent. <laughs> Okay, this sounds so intriguing. Yes, he has. He's still a Nigerian. He still has the accent, and he still has a Nigerian name. And now he has to go out into the world, and he has one of he has like one of the biggest interviews of his life on that day. But also, he's white everywhere, but his butt is still black. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, okay, I have to ask her: Is his butt still black? <laughs> Okay, that is so darn funny. It's satire, but it's 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 fantastic. It's his name is Igoni, uh, spelled I G O N I. Igoni Barrett. You have to find that book. You're gonna love it. It's a quick read and it's hilarious. Okay, I am definitely tracking that one down. And I'm so glad that you told me that on the title that it's all one word and his name because there are times when I spend so much time trying to track down a book somebody's recommended because I don't spell the title right, or it's done a little differently. So that is super useful information. Thank you, Irene. Your pleasure. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. And I just loved Lucky Girl. And I hope many other people will pick it up and love it as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. 
I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.